Hello, I'm Michael Sheen, and you are listening to a Touchline Rant podcast. Hi, I'm Reese from Heavy Mental Podcast, and we're sponsoring this week's episode of A Touchline Rant. Heavy Mental Podcast is a podcast in which you can expect to hear candid chatter about the things that matter, specifically mental health, wellness, personal growth, and beyond. So if that sounds like something you're interested in checking out, you can find us on Instagram at Heavy Mental Pod and iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere that you get your podcasts, we are there. So, yeah, check us out. Right, episode 122 of A Touchline Ramp Podcast. Thank you very much. We are here at Ashley Jones Hair. Thank you very much for hosting us. What a venue. Great we're venue. Here one of our best Rodri- venues. One of our best, definitely. Um, we're here with Rodri Jones. Thank you very much for popping on and saying hello. Um, you're going to find all about about Rodri. It's a bit different this week. What's on the agenda? This, what are we talking about? The agenda this week is is Rodri. Yeah. Well, usually it's we would do uh, sections on certain topics around football. All of it's Rodri this week. It's all you. We're just gonna we're gonna introduce you to Rodri. He's gonna tell you his story. It's gonna be a fascinating listen. Um, also, one big, two big thank yous as well. Thank you very much, Bendigo Big Media, for producing this podcast each and every week. Thank you very much, and thank you very much to our sponsor this week, Heavy Mental Podcast. You've heard from Reese already on this, so he said more than I can. But thank you very much, Heavy Mental. We're very appreciative of you sponsoring this episode. Anything left to say? Or just play the music. Loads. introduction that you just listened to mere moments ago we are here with Rodri Jones um thank you very much for coming on just explain a little bit about for you were a uh, footballer who came through the ranks at a certain club called Manchester United um yeah just how start, start right at the beginning then did you always know you know when you were younger was it you were intent on being a footballer was that it or was it something that you kind of fell into no, I think it was something that I, I didn't become. I think I was a yeah. footballer from from ever since I can remember. Um, on my first school report when I was five, the the teacher put "Good luck with the football" nice. at the bottom of my report. So you, you kind of have that feel. You, 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 it always felt came really natural to me. I'd be like looking at some kids kicking the ball and it looked really awkward, and I, I just couldn't understand <laughs> yeah. what, what was so difficult about it. Um, but then what, what happened then is my brother was playing for our primary school team and then the Sunday, um, Sunday league manager spotted my brother and wanted him to go training um, with, with them and I badgered my mum so much. I'm like two years younger than my brother so I badgered my mum so much that I wanted to just tag along but she kind of like went up to, went up to him sheepishly and said, oh, you don't mind if my younger son just tags along, do you? And then um, I went there and then, yeah, it kind of didn't look back really. In, in terms of getting scouted by United, I was playing for Cardiff Schools. Mm. 
what you've got is like a host of scouts. You, you kind of spot them, you know, they're like in their long overcoats and they're like, nah, that's Clip not mum and dad there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's one of those. It's like, I mean, some of them wouldn't be too, um, too auspicious because they'd be wearing the colored badges and stuff. But what happened then is I began calls from all kinds of different clubs, you know, like it was no Italian really. It's like Leeds, Luton, Man City, Liverpool, Wolves. So it all just happened. Like yeah, you just, you know, it's, it's just like network. It's like it's like a network of like, um, it's a bit like superheroes. It's like a um, group of guys who like probably work in the day jobs and then on the weekend they put on Don the big coats on and they go out and try and change people's lives. <laughs> that, that's the way I, I saw them. But I tell you, a club that was like really um, ahead of its time was Norwich City because they had a centre of excellence in Chapstow. You weren't allowed to come into Wales. Mm. But, so they were quite um, sly and they, they set a centre of excellence in Chapstow. So that's how Bellamy ended up there. Oh, so okay. it was me, Simon Davis was in Norwich and then he went to Peterborough. Um, so so yeah, people like don't realise that Norwich were like way ahead of everyone else. Um, which is weird because it, it was weird. Um, so it's a proper little feeder club which, yeah, they, which they, they progressed they through were, like they, an academy. It's into interesting it. to hear that because Norwich are obviously, you know, they're they're right up there, isn't they? You know, they're yeah. on the other side. Their right. training ground was great. It's like way ahead of its time. Um, yeah, so, so that's how a lot of people think, oh, how did Bellamy end up there? Well, I nearly ended up there. But once United came in for me, I, I supported them since I was a kid. I was like a massive um, United fan. Um, the, the player I admired was Brian Robson. He was like United's captain in the 80s and early 90s, like Captain Marvel. And I was just, I just spent hours in the... Um, my garden trying pretending that I was a United player um, so what happens then you sign schoolboy forms and that meant that I'd be going up every weekend all school holidays they'd try and get me up there um, and it was quite an eye-opener then because Eric Harrison was um, their youth team manager and he was a guy who was um, who was um, responsible for bringing the class of 92 through Beckham yeah. and Giggs and he was like a special iconic. yeah he was an yeah. iconic coach at that level he, he'd been at the club since forever, I think since the time of Ron Atkinson before Fergie, so he, you know, he, he was there longer than Fergie, and I think Fergie wanted to um, expand the scouting network because he wanted to get talent coming through through the ranks, and you know, it was a, a testament to Eric Harrison. He didn't feel like he needed to change the person who'd be in charge yeah. of that really. So uh, you know, you'd, you'd go up. Um, in that environment, you'd have like half an eye of what a um, life as an apprentice would be. Um, but then, yeah, I, I found out that I'd be signing a three-year scholarship to join United. So this is life-changing. Yeah, it's life-changing. I mean, the, the only thing I was—it was a bit disappointed when I used to go up to school by Canton. I was still playing, and like, I'm not someone who gets star star trek too often. You know, mm. I, I kind of look at someone and like I judge the person I know I always like respect someone's achievements but with him it was just like this aura he'd like walk into a room yeah. and everyone would stop but then he just retired didn't he um, so yeah when I started the scholarship unfortunately he wasn't there but I mean I started the scholarship in 98 99 season which it's a good year <laughs> it's <laughs> a vintage year not, so not bad all, all, all the best trying to break through into, into <laughs> at that time it'd be um, yeah it was a it was, a, it was a kind of poison chalice in a way in a way you kind of like enjoy that's it. what you go into yeah you your level you're enjoying a golden time in the, the club but then you're like I, I joined the club the same year as Yap Sam and then you're like I, we were always told to like study the player in your position we'd have to go to like watch every home game and he'd be like no don't really watch a game just watch your player um, and I'd be watching him I'd be going like 
yeah, he's he's super fast. He's like good in the air. He's comfortable on the ball. He's 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 like a beast. I was like, yeah, aggressive. Yeah. Animal. <laughs> I was like, all the, all the best trying to break in, in, into that. It team. must be quite daunting. But he was like, oh yeah, just you, yeah, look at the player and he yaps them because he was. I mean, he's, still, he's massively underrated. Still, he was. He, Honestly, you you had Ferdinand and Vidic who came in and like they were a great partnership. But honestly, he wasn't you know he wasn't in the top Premiership centre backs for longevity. But for that one season, for yeah. the couple of seasons, he was he was on the level I hadn't seen before, and I've probably only seen since with probably Company and Van Dijk. Yeah, those he are was. the two where you can kind of feel like that's the level that they were just. Him. The strike would be beaten before they'd even. If in that pump they were un, unplayable, usually you'd, you'd just say it's the other way around. If a striker's on his day, like Henri was, he sometimes like he's unplayable. Well, those centre halves were like. Was it a mentality thing on and off the pitch then with players like Yapstam? Was it like the the, the force of like I, carrying on, or was it like a mental strength thing? I'm not sure. I, I think you just feel it within that club. I mean. You join United at the time. You've got Ferguson, who you know he, he started establishing himself, and he, all the calls for him to go like there was in 1990 after the FA Cup, where you know that that was a turnaround for him, I think. And he'd kind of they'd won a few you know titles, so they'd broken the duck kind of thing. That after, I think in '93 they they won that that went after a long period, and I think so. It's, it's kind of you know when you're <laughs> you know Stan was very talented, but. You, you go into dressing where you like had someone like Roy Keane as captain. Well, the dressing room, you know, leads itself. When, you know, when when he was at, as you'd expect him to be, he was. Um, you know, it could be quite intimidating around the place, Roy Keane. Um, but yeah, did that hierarchy provide the the backbone and the platform to them to progress? Like you said, you had leaders like Roy Keane. You had like the, the senior players just keeping it going. Like you said, it must have run itself. There must not have been like too much, too many issues within the ranks there. I don't think. I think a big part of their success was as well. Obviously, you have Old Trafford, the Theatre of Dreams, but they had um, a training ground called the Cliff, um, which is iconic. You know, they'd had had it um, as part of United since the 30s. So you yeah. know, it had all best job, um, Dennis Law, Charlton, even after. Um, the Munich air disaster, they they kind of camped back at the cliff to um, to kind of rebuild really. Um, but what the cliff was, it was very modest as a training ground. It was quite small, so everyone would be mixing together. You were at the biggest club in the world, probably you know de- definitely in the UK at the time. But when you were within the club, it felt like a Sunday league team. Yeah. You know, Ferguson. I, th- I think that's a big part of his success that he. It was, it was quite a humble environment. It was quite modest, um, and I think that re- was reflected on the pitch. And yeah, they, they obviously had talent as well. Yeah. Did you think? Uh, obviously, you saying you joined in the ninety-eight, ninety-nine season. Do you think at that stage, for me, being obviously a Man United fan, you had that class of ninety-two that had come through, and that set a precedent almost for the youth that were coming through. It was United were were seen as a, a club that would give you know youth players a chance obviously the stat now where every first team for like you know what is it like a thousand years or something has had a product of the youth yeah. team in it which continues to this day um, do you feel the pressure at that point was more on the youth to be like right you've got to perform because coming just a few years before you David Beckham arrived Gary Neville arrived you know 
Mickey Burt, Paul Scholes, all of these players came through. There was a certain amount of pressure. There's always going to be pressure when you try and break through a club like United. Probably a lot of pressure on the coaches as well because yeah. you had you know, someone like Eric Carson who'd gone, you know, just I think a season before you had like a guy called Dave Williams who was a youth team manager. Mm-hmm. He'd come in. He was ex-Welsh international. I think he was at Leeds as well, Norwich. Um, there was a guy called Neil Bailey who was our coach. And what, what was a bit of a shame sometimes when I'd play is that you were always told to express yourself, um, but sometimes, you know, if you made a mistake, um, let's say I do a mistake during the first half, enough, you know, in that first year, you'd be thinking about the, the half-time and what you're going to tell the manager, because yeah. he used to get quite angry, he used to start throwing yeah. throwing um, bottles around the place yeah. and stuff, and that, that kind of, um, that didn't really work with yeah. me, because I, I kind of, when I did a mistake, I kind of knew what I'd done wrong, and it's like, I'd, le- I'd learn from it really quickly, but then when someone shouts at you, Kind of, um, it didn't really have much of an impact on me, but it's that kind of ability to um, let, let your players play without fear, really. Um, yeah. it's, it, it takes quite a courageous coach. Like, uh, coach was great, you know, but it was just maybe that element of, of knowing your players as well. You know, some players would react massively well to being shouted at, others don't, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, it's that ability, you know, you probably see it a lot with Klopp now. Yeah. He'd probably give you a bollock in one minute, but he'd give you arm around the next. Yeah. Minute, you know, you, you have that. He feel. could be smiling and say, oh, "I'm going to kill you." But, but, you, <laughs> but honestly, I, you know, I, I take a bollock in from the manager if you felt like the other side that you felt like you know it's just they, like they were they were give bollocking you as as a like a, they were they were trying to teach the person rather than the player, and I think that's that's key to performances yeah. is getting that player to take because you know you can be. Fit, you know, you can be fit or in the stats, you know, in training. But if you've got a manager that just you, you, you unconsciously just just want to play for you, you will run that extra can, bit without even realising it. You can certainly see it when you when you see good performances from players. They they they're fully fully absorbed in that moment and, and, and fully functional in that. You know the, the the types of players who are a bit reserved, and you can tell they're probably going to have a bad game because they don't seem like they're in the moment at the time. So I think we've come to a stage now where it's uh, it's important to, to really develop your, your uh, psychological way of being, like your mind as well as your physical state. So. That's a good place to end. So now yeah, you went off the tangent. Yeah, right at the end. We are now for people playing along at home. We're at United now. This yeah. is out. Next, we're going to talk about life at the we've club. Just got there. The internet. We've just got there. We've arrived. Set the scene. Let's have a look around. Okay. I'm I'm Rachel Gad, and you're listening to a Touchline rant. We're at United now. That's where we are. We're at Man United. On our journey. On, a, on our little journey that we're going through tonight. So you're at United. Um, you've mentioned Eric Harrison, who is someone that I wanted to talk about. Did, was he still? I mean, at that point, he would still have been a huge part of of the coaching staff. At, yeah, at that I point. mean. He had retired, so we, he was. We'd see, see him occasionally, but yeah. he wasn't. You know, he wasn't full time. He wasn't the youth team yeah. um, manager anymore. So his obviously his influence wasn't you know as paramount as it, as it used to be. Um, yeah, so so he he he'd kind of gone really. Um, so you kind of leave school after GCSEs, and you go. You know we. We were just staying with like um, landlord and landladies, like they have like a like a network of just just regular 
you know, people who, who take the apprentices in. Yeah. Um, so that's how we're really. So it's, a, it's it's quite difficult because you're you're a bit homesick. You, you know, you're you're 16 years of age. You're, you're leaving home. You're trying to come to terms with that, mm. and then you're thrown into a very you know ultra competitive environment. And you're going from probably training once, twice a week. You know, when I was playing for Cardiff Schools, you know, maybe a game on Saturday to double sessions every day. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you're going into an environment where your body's just getting stiff and stiff, stiffer because you're not used to this training. But the training is getting harder and harder. Yeah. So you kind of, I know every, every, you know, back in those, uh, you know, we, we didn't see the ball for, for a long while. Um, you know, I, I think you'd have to be like, kind of, um, like say the masochistic or something, say that you enjoyed pre-season. But, um, I mean, when we started the first team weren't, weren't around too much because um, World Cup 98 had just been so a lot of the players had had like extended breaks so you know but, but the second years then we're starting to mention you know, like are you just wait until the first team back and the initiations and like oh, and we're like oh what fresh hell is this going to be now? So, <laughs> yeah. so we'd be like um well, we had to do jobs and stuff, so you know, I think my job was I had to clean the gym and stuff. I, I was also um, washing and um, Gary Neville and Giggs' boots as well. Um, but anyway, so, so you'd, you'd have the call all first years to the first team dressing room, and like you'd have all the, all the first years trying to hide, you know, you know, right. trying to hide in cupboards and stuff, and then you'd be kind of shepherded in. It's just like school. Yeah, so, yeah. so you'd literally, literally like, walk into the first team dressing room and that. Uh, all sat around in the dressing room, so all you got your Schmeichel, Keane, Beckham, everyone, all the reserves, like all squeezed into one dressing room. You'd have like a fishing bed in the middle of the room, and you're like, oh, this, this, uh, not gonna this isn't going to go well. So, what they do individually is get you up. You'd have to stand on the fishing bed, and you'd have to like talk about how many how many girls you'd had sex with. You have to show your favourite position. You'd have to say what your best chat. You'd have to like pretend to chat up one of the first team players. I mean, they they do it to kind of like well, it's, it's a weird one really. It's to welcome you to the club as well, to show that there's no boundaries between us and you. But it's also to try and toughen your character. Um, I mean. And it's like army mentality. Well, yeah, and, um, yeah. Ryan Giggs was the one who um, who was leading the reading from France. So you know, he, he was like he had a very like Never very quick witted, very dry, and you know, he'd, like him and Nicky Butt together, they were like partners in crime. Um, but I always felt like a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's all great having that banter, but wouldn't it be nice to have one of the more experienced players take a couple of the younger players and say, listen, this is what it takes, this, this is what to watch out for, you know, this is what life as a footballer is like. And there's something that you don't, you don't didn't have any of that. Like that. But, but in a way, we're indirectly competing with them for, the, for their yeah. positions, even though it felt like a mile away. So what's the point in them helping you out? In a way, yeah, uh, but you yeah. know, it, 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 it takes someone who's like very assured of themselves if, to, to be able to say, listen, you know, I'm 26, 27, I, you know, I, I'm already established, but I'm just going to pass on a little bit of my knowledge mm. to the younger guys. and. I'm sure if if the structure was in place, to, you know, that it was part of um, part of the regime. I'm sure a lot of the players, like someone like Gary Neville, yeah. always loved talking. So I'm sure yeah. he would have took us to one side. Did you see any of that uh, imparted um, wisdom? Not really. I mean, the only times you really sorry, if you were injured long term and stuff, you'd be um, you'd be you'd be going through rehabilitation with the first team players. So you know, there's Potluck who, who was injured the same time as you, and yeah, you did. But that, again, it'd be more just seeing how they 
set their mindsets to recovering from injury rather than any kind of um, formal kind of mentoring or anything. But mm. but then you know a lot of the, a lot of players, you know, you have a lot of initiations. Some of the stuff that used to happen, you could say is like virgin and bullying. But it's always always that argument of that's what yeah. we used to have to do. But it's, it's so there's like, no one sort of mentoring and showing you how to how to. Like on and off the pitch, there was no like a budding Sicilian place for them. No, not really. Yeah, and, you, and you, I, mean, I mean, I think you think how, how important mind is into performance, and you yeah. think one, it's f- f- beneficial to the well-being of the individual, but it's beneficial to the club as well because you're effectively maybe getting better performances out of players. I mean, you've got to realise, you know, some players are, are different to each other. Some players don't don't want, you know, they they want to be left alone. But I was quite a deep thinker. I was quite sensitive, so you know, I, I, you can't just suddenly switch off your mind, your self-talk and stuff. And you know, so, so it would have been maybe handy to have mm. someone. That, that's not judgment of the club, as per se. It's maybe when did just, you start knowing your character and what you were like as a person? Did you do you find yourself in that in that in that age? Like, what when did it the penny drop where you where you were at and what you were achieving? Um, it's a weird thing, really. You don't. I was always a bit of a perfectionist, so even when I signed for United, I wouldn't really even say I was like overjoyed. You'd be like thinking, right, what next? What have I got to mm. achieve next? And I was a kind of player that, even if I had man of the match in a game, I'd still be like concentrate, focusing on the mistake I did, you know, and it'd be playing over and over in my mind and stuff. And you know how it is when you grow up, you think like the way you think your map of the world is the world. You, you, you mm, think really. that is true? Really Everything you think. That. I used to think if I had like a, a thought, a bad thought about myself, I thought that's just me. That I'm just inherently weak for having that thought. Rather, so so then when you start painting that picture, and when you know I started suffering injuries, then yourself talks even more because you're not out on the pitch. You, you're not. You don't feel like a footballer. You, you're kind of just going through this like really lonesome time of rehabilitation. That's when it's even more important to have someone to, you know, to, mm. and it, to, to, to be fair to the physios, they're not trained in that area. It's, it's a skill it's to be able to treat. It's mental skills, mm. yeah. you know. Physiotherapists are designed, you know, and I had lovely physios, but they're designed to literally, you know, their, their job is to. That's what's wrong with you physically is to get you back onto the training pitch, and so I, I feel for a lot of players who've had those long-term injuries and the effects that has on them you know I'm, I'd go you know I'd say that effectively I had to retire from football ultimately with a knee injury but that lack lack of psychological fitness I call it has had like greater impact on my life mm. Mm. yeah it's a huge um, just b- before we move on to the next section just obviously you were there at the club with Sir Alex as the manager how much interaction on a sort of how, how often do you see him because there's obviously the stories of his office overlooking the training pitches so that because especially later on when he was there he didn't take training you know he had people who took training and he would oversee it all how much interaction was there was he uh, an ever present when you know you right from the start did he ever come down did he ever because right, I, I know you didn't see his office you know, as it, as it were, until later on, but... He wasn't an enigma. He, he would mix with the... You know, he was... 
he knew the names of everyone at the club. You know, he he he'd go into the canteen and he'd speak openly with just the lady who'd done the breakfast in the morning, and he'd yeah. make them feel as important to the club as anyone else. I remember um, the start of last year, um, my the scout who took me to my new died the start of last year. So he was from Baysleg, so I went to the funeral. At, um, Ferguson came down from Manchester wow. to his funeral and spoke at his funeral because he valued the input of every member. So, so every scout, regardless, all, all over the UK, he valued their input. So that that's what was set him apart, is he made everyone feel like they were buying into the success of the club it, and it yeah. takes a manager who is assured in himself to be able to cause a lot of managers are probably so wrapped up in what they're doing and, 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 and managing out of fear of oh if I don't get the results I'll get the sack I mean yeah but, you know, by the time I was there he'd kind of maybe turned that corner but I'd walk past him sometimes in the office and he'd ask how was your mum and dad and not even mum and dad he'd know the names now that that takes that takes some ability just to remember all that, but yeah. and he wasn't you know, but then he wasn't scared to make those big decisions, you know. Look at Paul Lynch, Yapstam, even Beckham, you know. Yeah. The NT, he, you have to have that so when, when you needed to be. But then was he uh, was he overly supportive when when everything was was ticking along? Was he did he just make those decisions? Maybe, listen, maybe he took on too much responsibility right? because when I signed as, as a schoolboy the whole family went up to Manchester and I signed with him in his office with the FA Cup and the the, um, the Premiership luckily they'd won the FA Cup and the Premiership the previous year so they had the display not just a vase of flowers on the table yeah. <laughs> but um, but on the other side of things when it, when it came to being told you know to find out what my um what my future was with the club, even though I hadn't really had dealings with him on the football basis, we ended up having to line up individually and go into his office, which I'd never been in. In so I, you'd walk into the office, and you'd be like, you'd be well, it's just like my message just to go into this guy's office. You know, it's like, well, it's like foreign to you, and then to be told then that you're not, your service is not required. By the man you've admired since you were yeah. since you were five, then the falls much greater than it would have been if just my coach had pulled me to one side and yeah. say, "Listen, you know, you're not going to get off a new contract." I understand why he did it. You know, he's taken the responsibility. But yeah. I mean, the one thing I'd say then, once you find out that you're not required at the club, there's a weird thing. You know, you, 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 when clubs want you to sign, and this goes to probably every level of football you're made to feel like you're you're desired you're special you know it's yeah. like sell it you know it's like salesmen you know even the scouts you know, even, even the nicer scouts they're still trying to sell the club sell the club to yeah. and then it is weird you, you realise you're no longer an asset to that club it, it can be a very lonely place and you know that, that it, it's great to have you know for those people who are who do prove the manager wrong and bounce back but You've, you've got to deal with that fall, and you know. I, unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't know how at the time. I, you know, I'd wrapped up so much of my yeah. identity in Manu, and yes, statistically, I wasn't probably gonna gonna make it there. But then, when when that fall comes, mm. you, you're kind of you, you're in this 
to bring them into chaos. Yeah, you don't know how to get out. I mean, it, I did have an agent. My mum and dad are not 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 in, from football, so suddenly you, you're just relying on United, just contacting other clubs to, mm. to say, listen, we've got these players who've come available now. I don't know which clubs they're contacting. They're not going to contact wow. maybe their immediate yeah. rivals, and then and then suddenly you're, you're you're trying to deal with the disappointment of you know feeling like you've let your parents down. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you've let your friends down. I mean, I I'd, in my last season in United as well, I had a film crew filming me for Welsh language TV. So literally, like the documentary had gone out over Christmas in mm-hmm. February. So in February, I was told told then I was going to be released. So I was like. Everyone's seen this documentary go out. Waving first and saying like Rodri's got great attribute, like all this, and then suddenly I'm being released. released. So I was like, it just, it just didn't, it didn't make How sense. How old were you when it's, you took that information in? I mean, I was, I think I was, I was in my last year, so twenty, just, just turned twenty. Um, it is a weird place to, to, to go. Do you feel like you found yourself truly like off off the back of that? Of that decision, what the decision to? Yeah, do you think because of that that little element of chaos, you were able to like build yourself back up again? Well, I mean, say, not, not really. I mean, you're trying to find, you know, you're trying to continue your livelihood to begin. I mean, you've got this illusion as well that you just more automatically you leave United, you're just going to walk into any club as well. Mm. But it isn't like that. You know, the, yeah. you're going from in the space of three years, three four years, you know. Every pretty much every club in the UK want, wanted to wanted to at least give you a trial, at least um, give you an opportunity to suddenly having to just try and prolong your career. And I, I mean, obviously, I was dealing with as well. You know, at United as well. You know, I suffered like two pretty much two of my three seasons. I'd missed big chunks with injury. You, you need a bit of luck, you know. You have to have like mm. top ability. You can't. Miss that much football? There's always going to be a question mark over your head. I don't even know the reasons why they. I, I never knew the reason yeah. re, reasons why they released me. All I was told by my coach, it was a long, hard discussion about. It, but I wasn't sure whether they just thought there was something, someone stronger yeah. than me coming up. Whether there was doubts over my knee. I, you know, you, so you're you not told any of that. You're not given a breakdown. At no, the time. I, mean, I, I mean, I could have asked Ferguson when he when he said like. <laughs> Um, we're not giving you another contract. Why? But when when Fergus is talking to you, you're just mouth just dries. Your mouth dries up, and you're just thinking, I don't want to cry in front of him. That's wow. what you're thinking. You you think Best. if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry for my for my mates out there, and that's what happened. You go out, you, the tears come, and it's a funny situation because you have some players who find out they have got a contract, and they're trying to console those players who mm. who's, um, who who sort of made the next step, and they're trying to yeah, that's. Wow, what an insight. Wow. Right. For those playing along at home again, no. So we've now we've been at United, we've experienced it, and now we've we've left United. Let's see where we go from here, shall we? Hi, this is the Hi, this is the Blender Coach and you're listening to a Touchline Rants latest podcast. Back of the net. Right, back on the uh, the story train that we've got going. Um, so now we've... So as you touched on in the last section, so you, you were told that you were being released by Manchester United. Um, at that point, because you, you're 20, yeah, when you, yeah, when you got released. Yeah. Uh, at any point, had you considered what you would do if you weren't playing football? 
like because obviously you, your career didn't end when you left United. However, it's that thing of it's the short as we were just saying. It's a short career span that you've got. We talked about it a few weeks ago and saying like at my age now I'm going to be 35 shortly. It's like if I was a footballer now, it's like oh, my career's nearly over. I'm only 35. It's just it's it's fascinating to think. Yeah. So when you got released, it, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what you were thinking at that time. The thing is, you know, st- the statistics say you know you're not going to make it. I, I was lucky. I was quite academic in school, but I wasn't academic thinking, ah, oh, this is for for what I fall back on if I don't yeah. make it. You, you just, to be honest, I was quite academic because I used to like competing against my mates to yeah. <laughs> see who could get the best exam results. It was it wasn't like something um, innate in me. Um, yeah, when you're twenty. Like, like I don't, you know, even when you're 16, you're not thinking too much of the future. You're still about, you, you, you know, your brain's still like, you, part of your brain's still mature until, you know, you don't need to start mature until you're 21. So you're still like, you're still mature, you know, growing, yeah. essentially. Um, it was weird, you know, I, obviously I joined Rodham. It was, it was, matter of fact, I had like a trial game for them. I was playing, I think it was the Bolton Reserves or something. And, you know, when you have one of those games and say everything came off, and I was like, I just, you knew they were gonna actually decide. Just, yeah. just purely, you, you, you just one of those games, you know. And I'm quite, you know, hard on myself. But like, even my dad came off as like, yeah, you, you, and my dad, you know, my dad wouldn't berate me, but he wouldn't give me, you know, he was just like kind of middle of the road. Um, but anyway, you know, I kind of went to Rotherham then, only basically, basically pure, purely based on the fact, you know, there was a couple of other authors, Rex and um, QPR, a couple. And I spoke a lot about an hour chat with Ian Holloway, who was a QPR manager at the time. Um, but the only reason I went to Rotherham really was because they'd had two successive um, promotions, so they were in the championship. Mm. But then when I joined, you know, it was like a massive culture change. You know, you're going to have to... No, not that I was like a prima donna or anything, but it's just mm. you were going from having your kit just, you know, laid out to you every day to having to wash your own kit, you know, for a 20-year-old. Just stuff like that, you know, really, really... You're going from the cliff... Well, there was Carrington at the time, you know, you know they had moved to Carrington, this big training complex, you know, it's really basic stuff in Rotherham. The guys were, were lovely, they were great, you know, it was obviously you can... A club like Rotherham has two successive promotions. It tells you a lot about the characters yeah. and the team. The only player that they had was you probably really know of. Really, was Mark Robbins, who was ex United striker. Yeah. Um, had scored, I think, in the FA Cup. I think it was a game that they said that saved, saved his, his career. career yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was nothing with the boys. But you kind of knew. I knew straight away. Like, this this is the wrong place for me, but. I felt like oh god, you you've just gotta get on with it, gotta get on with it now and it's just, and then there's always that element of you like, oh they've they've worked <laughs> it's a way it's no nothing that anyone said, but you just start painting and slowly start painting this picture. It was like I thought, oh some of these players now, you know, they've had, they've worked the heart guts off you now, two successful promotions and then suddenly the guy who's you know man you you know, comes in and like you feel like benefits from all that hard work. I and honestly, I, they, they were they were great. Like, they were strong characters in the dressing yeah. room. You know, I say two successive promotions from a small club of talent. Well, massive, big characters in the dressing yeah. room. Um, but then I started like I was I was unhappy. Um, didn't really want to worry my mum and dad. You know, I'm like up in South Yorkshire, and a lot 
lot of the younger lads in the team were local guys, so they had all their family and friends locally, and then but a lot of the older guys had family, like wives and children, so I was kind of caught in a bit of no man's land. And it, it just shows how quickly, you know, it, I was always quite fit physically, you know, I always felt like, um, even if you felt like, oh, there's some, you know, psychological issues there, if I got just got fit enough physically, I'd just be able to, like, just override it. Um, but what happened then, it's, it's weird how it starts to manifest itself, you know, I had a flat in Rotherham and I did have a girlfriend at the time, but she was on the year, she, she was studying German in um, uni, so she was over in Germany for the year, so I was by myself, and then it's, it's little things, you start coming back from training and then you're like, oh, I can't be bothered just yeah. washing the dishes, like I haven't got the energy to wash the dishes, I haven't got the energy just to wash my clothes, and you're just leaving things piling up, and then you're like, oh, I'm just going to shut the curtains now, and and roll on the next day and you, you start isolating yourself you start you know yeah you, you start cutting yourself away from the world but I had this you know I, was, I didn't really know what was happening to me when I had my knee injuries it was like yeah great the scan you know it's quite clear you have a scan it shows there's a root and you're tearing your cartilage we get it fixed but with this you're like well, what's going on here but I had, just, I don't know why, I just had that awareness that there was like a doctor practice opposite um, mm. my flat. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to go into the doctor, just like, I'm having these, you know, quite, you know, dark feelings and like mm. just these, um, I, I don't know, it's, it's a weird, I can't, I can't explain it, you just feel like there's a, some, like a, some brain fog, I'd, I'd imagine. Mm. Puts him in a difficult position because he wasn't, I think, he wasn't the club doctor. But I think he had an affiliation with the club, mm. so obviously I'd gone to see him without without the club knowing. Obviously, he gave me antidepressants. It's, it's difficult for a doctor. They've got ten minutes. They they can't mm. talk, talk yeah. about, about what your yeah. lifestyle's like, you yeah. know. And, and maybe in that era, it, it wasn't a holistic approach. It's more right. Let's get some tablets to fix this. And I was always a bit like, you know, I started taking the tablets. Felt like quite numb. Go to training. Didn't tell anyone. But I was always a bit like with these tablets. I'm like, oh, well, I want to feel. I just want to understand why, well, what, what, what's causing this suffering. Because if you don't understand it, you feel like you're just putting a plaster over over something. Um, but it kind of it started like then affecting me. You know, in terms of let's say I had a reserve game for Rotherham. You know, I, I was playing with for the reserve for them. I I was I'd get up in the morning and if it was an evening kickoff, I'd be like, oh, no, it's going to be a day of just like mentally berating yourself and just just not wanting to get dressed so I'd get to the even before we started picking up I'd, I'd be exhausted yeah. arriving and then suddenly it'd, it'd be stuff like you know I, I was always someone who was like quite um, led by example I was a captain in a lot of teams I played with and then suddenly you'd just be like I don't want the ball I, I know, it's like a bullet I, I just don't want to be here I just want the ground to swallow me up I never had that experience and I, I was like I was looking at the bench and I wish I was over there mm. it even ended up to the point I was on the bench one game for someone who'd been like in the United Reserves not long before you know probably 18 months before mm. I was on that bench thinking oh, please no one get injured I, don't, I just don't want to go on wow. it's weird so it ended up you know the, 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 my manager at the time you know Ronnie, Ronnie Moyes old school manager you know obviously very successful on the pitch but I didn't really have any dealings with him on a, yeah. on a personal basis he didn't really, I felt a little bit like 
guilty because even though I hadn't cost many transfer fees, I'd, I'd come in. I, my knee was still playing, but you know, I did have an operation. It's like a battle going on. Yeah, and then I just I had to see him, and then like he's probably thinking, oh, he's going to sit sit me down now and. Um, and why am I not in the team? You know, that's what they used to. But I was literally um, wanting, can you just rip up my contract? And he's like, he sat up. He's like, what? This is like Christmas time. I still had six, seven months of my contract to run. So it's effective. If you're saying to rip up my contract, you're saying I don't care about that money, which is, you know, I was 21 at the time, I think. Mm. It's still, it's a fair whack. So he was like, he couldn't understand what, what it was. And you think, well, now's the time to say, to be honest with him and say, you know, mm. I, you haven't seen the best of me because I've just not been in a good place. But I, I couldn't. I, even then, you know, I'd worked so hard to, to you know, to start, you know, establish some sort of life in, in football. And I literally just, it kind of ended. Like and there was no one to talk to apart from that doctor initially, and you didn't feel. No, I didn't really speak to anyone in the dressing room. It, it tells you how how low I was you know I've always been quite quiet in the dressing room I'm not saying like I was like Jack the Lad you know but I, mm. I, I you know I, I was quite introverted but a few years later when I, one of the Rotherham players got a million pound move to Cardiff City Alan Lee mm. um, so I moved in with him and you know he's, we hadn't really been that close in Rotherham and he, I remember him one day they were just going to me I think we were on the breakfast table he goes what oh, a I can't believe the difference and I, I went what, what do you mean he goes genuinely when I thought you were at Rotherham when, when you were at Rotherham I thought you were mute wow that's it's just not to you yeah oh, I, I rarely see that fragility shown in football because it is like a bit of a hyper masculine uh, support in this situation the first time I, I, was, I was aware of it but the first time I actually saw it was uh, Johnny Williams on uh, Sutherland Till I Die when he went in and was honest in his approach he said look I'm, I'm feeling these, these feelings I feel a bit isolated I'm annoyed with myself because of the injury I don't like and that was all on camera and I think something that is such a brave thing to actually like like speak out over because it's one of those things that there is still a stigma attached and you know for sure it must go on and now there is more support in terms of mental and physical as well as physical so it shows you as a huge huge part of the game but it's re- it was still rarely spoken about to this day it's maybe reflective of you know the idea of masculinity like you said about you feel, there is that stigma that you feel like it's weak to talk but we are human you know the footballers are human so uh, same in all walks of life you get different different kinds of some people who who their backgrounds are they psychologically quite sturdy or, and you have some people who maybe need, you know, same as you'd have maybe someone who needs to physically maybe do ways to get stronger, and you get someone who, who someone else who's, who's built, you know, quite strongly, doesn't need to do so much work in that area. I think it's a sign of strength that someone identifies, you know, maybe sure. they've gone through their, their life, they, they are quite sensitive and directed, but what can I do? Not to not to disconnect from because because that sensitivity, that deep thinking can be a huge asset, but it's to be yeah. able to um, to channel it really and to, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to work on my mental fitness um, because ultimately everything you do in life you see through the filter of your own mind so if you're yeah. not doing anything yeah, I, I'd never say you know what what works for me maybe wouldn't work for you too for instance but yeah. if you're not doing anything then 
you're not maybe optimizing maybe what life can bring you really yeah it's a huge point yeah. huge point to, 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 to speak about a bit more speak a bit more openly about yeah. how you feel should we end that one there go on dictate this wrap this up okay, right so where are we in the story where are we in the story um we've so we're now coming to terms with with issues outside football really I think this is the the bread and butter of the story now this is where I said this is where I think it's going to get really really interesting before I listen to a touchline run podcast I like a little bit of the bubble right so you said after United you went to Rotherham where so after you asked for your contract to be ripped up was it ripped up from there or what what was the next step yeah, no, in all fairness to Rotherham, they did give me a little bit of money, even though they weren't contractually obliged to do so, so in all fairness to them. Mm. Um, I just came back and started playing in the League of Wales. I played for Cumbran and Carmarthen, and suddenly the, um, the joy is coming back. Yeah. A great bunch of lads. Um, but unfortunately, my knee was still, still deteriorating, so it kind of ended up with me going to see the knee consultant. Um, I was 24 at the time. And he basically, I, I took my manager with me and he said, oh, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, Rodri got a knee of a 50-year-old ex-footballer, 24. So then, you know, at that, that point you're thinking, you know, you're thinking ahead of if you have children and stuff, you want to be able to play with your children. Yeah, health is, yeah the, the, that, that comes first and foremost. So I just made that decision then to, um, to, to retire. Um, what happens then is that you immediately start, you know, to be honest, it was a bit of relief to begin because I I'd got to the point where I was playing on a, on a, on a Saturday and my knee had swelled up and by the following Saturday I'm still trying to get the swelling down. So when you start doing that time and time again, it can get quite um, quite taxing. Yeah. Um, so you have a bit of relief thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to have my Saturdays back. But that soon wears off and then you're like... Um, I've wrapped up so much of my events team football. It's been all I've really known and since. It's the yeah, it's, it's all I've really known, and it's all that people really associate me with. So I'd go, you know, I'd, I'd bump it, but Cardiff's not a big place. I'd bump into people and go, right, oh, how's the knee? Are you still playing? And mm. you know, people mean well, but then suddenly thinking, well, what, what am I without being a footballer? Um, but I've still got that perfection from that that kind of driving me and you know I've managed to um, develop a career in television um, so work as a producer director but then you're still building that career on a feeling of lack of self-worth from probably as back as when Fergie you know uh, from then you know so so you're still kind of you're succeeding externally but it's not from a place of freedom because even though you've, you've You've seen how things work, and you've had the ability to to, to be in there. You've you, you, you've done amazing things, like in your time. You've had that. You've been there. It's not a place where many people actually see. So I think it's a phenomenal thing what you what you've, what you've achieved over over that over to what you've done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately, you know, you always hear the stories about people who've had had every all the external luxuries, and I felt empty inside because mm-hmm. you're not doing it from. You're either doing it, you're probably doing it from a place of fear and you're not doing it from a place that's authentic to, yeah. to yourself. And it takes courage then to be able to face up to those things and, and change course in life. Mm. Um, 
I, I probably had that realization that you know if I you still have those bouts of you know of melancholy like depression and stuff but you kind of ride those out a little bit and you know I've kind of I, I spent years maybe um, trying to understand my mind so kind of training my own mind really um, you know kind of develop myself from the inside out because I know I can't physically excel anymore yeah. so you kind of trying to build up I, 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 what I'd call it is mental freedom really mm-hmm. so you, it doesn't mean you retreat from the world and become a hermit but you just you can still be ambitious in the world but you're taken from, uh, from a place of if if I succeed in what, whatever that task is mm. it's okay if, if I don't succeed at it it's still okay you know it's kind of ex- accepting everything um, not not in, a, not in a passive way it's just a change of perspective yeah. to the world around yeah. you yeah and then and, and then it was something right I, there was a I saw, saw an article um, well it you know, obviously the suicide rate is so high for men, and yet, you know, we live in a world that we were safer than ever. And for, for guys to feel like that is the, the last way out is unfortunate. And but I've kind of been there. It's, it's that feel of um, it's not wanting to take your own life; it's wanting to stop thinking. It's that feel so of you start thinking you're a burden, you know. And that, that's the problem if you keep things to yourself, if you don't talk. Because ultimately, sometimes if you just at, uh, even just to, even if I just went to the wall and started talking about what I've been thinking and, and mm. feeling, you feel better because it kind of it, 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 sometimes just hearing yourself say those words can trigger something. Instead of being, but even head. better if you can speak to someone, you know, maybe if even if it isn't doctor, someone who knows you, you can just just shed that bit of light yeah. about the, the, that dark tunnel that, that you're kind of going down, really. Um, so, so that's partly my. Um, just regulating your mental health. Yeah, and that, that's and been my ability to talk. Yeah, in Time to Change Wales, I've been doing um, a, a kind of campaign um, called Talking is a Lifeline, which is aimed predominantly at men. So, so the, what that, what's that involved is um, to, that's been. So, what happens with Time to yeah, Change? Yeah, uh, my role um, fundamentally has been going out and presenting and just saying my story and just saying the stuff that I've done just to help myself. It's, it's always weird, you know. You'll kind of present, yeah. And you'll see men, you know. For some men, you know, they might, yeah, enjoy enjoy the talk, but they can't relate to it. They, you know, they they haven't got any any of those issues on on a on a personal level, or they don't know anyone who's been afflicted. But when you know that one in four um, people are likely to be affected by mental health, it's no surprise then that what what happens at the end. You know, you'll have some people say, "Yeah, great, I enjoyed the conversation." And you have some people hold back. You'll have some men who hold back and come up and like, just see that more hiding and deflective and being defensive, rather like if because like, you don't know what people are actually like, you, thinking. You never, really. you never know people what hide things a lot. You never know what you're thinking. I mean, you know, you put the masks on, mm-hmm. and you know, you go around life thinking, "Oh, everyone else has got seems to have it sorted," but then you start opening that up. I'm not saying everyone, everyone, ultimately, then it's just some people. Yeah, everyone's got their own. Everyone's got their own stuff through life. You go through yeah. life from your kid. You know, no one's. Yeah. No, everyone picks up their own little disappointments, little traumas, and these little thoughts of oh, why you know berating yourselves. But it taps into the shadow self, I think. And, yeah, and it taps into like like things of feeling like it's, things are never good enough. 
and something's always going to go downhill. Like it's, it's sort of that mentality that some people people have. But I think if you incorporate the shadow self as much as you can by being aware of your thoughts, like you said, by just talking about your like a couple of things that are going on, just as a sort of meditation in order to get those things out, it can be beneficial. I think lots of men, in particular, do hide that and they don't want to be a burden, like you said, and they don't want to be a bother, and they they don't think anyone else is going through that. So I think it's a huge. Hopefully there'll be a huge shift off the back of like the work that you do uh, and, and your story. You know, it's, it's incredible. I think everyone talks about mental resilience. You know, a lot. But I, I'd say what's most important before you even talk is that self-awareness, that ability to tune into yourself and say something's not right here. But, but that doesn't mean that someone from suffering from mental health illness. It could be someone who's just not not fulfilling. All they, they can they can do in life really is it's, it's just that ability to um, to withstand all the distractions in life as well because you could fill fill your life with just you know yeah, distractions distraction. yeah and and you know if if you have got those um, thoughts in in the background playing you're you're not going to run away from them forever they, they will they will rear their head eventually and yeah. I think it's, it takes us. It's a sign of strength. Someone who identifies that and does something about it, and um, and removes the obstacles that may be you know, holding you back in life. And this is, as I say, it's, it's a spectrum, isn't it? You know, if you fall down the bottom of the spectrum, you know, when you when you're in the depths, if you you, know, you just need to do something to get out of that. You know, talk, mm-hmm. maybe maybe go see doctor. It might be medication just to get yeah. get you know yeah. get, get your head above water. But what about that person who's in the middle of the road who's just an autopilot? Um, there's always something something you can do to pull in a positive direction. So for me, you know, the issue of mental health, some people are always automatically related to mental health illness. But what about, you know, it's not that you don't automatically, someone mentions physical fitness, you don't automatically think of breaking your leg and, and mm-hmm. injuries. You think physical fitness is something positive, is something mm-hmm. I'm going to work on. And, um, and, and Make sure it's an asset, and if you, if you can make sure that you can, um, you know, I, I think the key thing in life is to have ultimate freedom. Is to you can't have freedom in life if, unless you know how to master your own mind. Well, sure. I think I think we could. I think you could. I think you just crushed it there. But yeah, I don't think you're gonna hope for a better way of ending in that yeah. section. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Nice. Hey, it's Mitchell Gad here, and if I'm not on ATR, I'm listening to ATR. So have a think about that. Right. That's it for another week. Thank you very much, Rodri. It's been it's been brilliant having you on. Thank you very much for yeah telling us your story and your honesty and your openness. And I think it's an episode which yeah a lot of people will get a lot for, from. So thank you very much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed you being on here. Yeah, I was hoping for a haircut as well, but... Yeah, well, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. I'll sort, I'll sort that. We'll sort the blow dry out next. It's fine. Uh, thank you very much once again to Heavy Mental Podcast for sponsoring this episode. Go check them out uh, at Heavy Mental Pod on Instagram. It's their only social media account, and go listen to them. Thank you very much to Bendy Getting Media, once again, producer of the podcast. Um, anyone else you think? That'll do, one it, for yeah, this week. that'll do. using anger.
if you want a podcast, go to Anchor. <laughs> know what else to do. Yeah.